Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Sarah Cook from SustainableCooks.com, and we will be discussing how not to blog. Sarah Cook is the founder of SustainableCooks.com, a blog focusing on sustainable food and balanced living. Over the years, Sarah has made it her mission to help busy people and families find room in their lives for real food cooking. Sarah believes in meeting people where they are and encouraging baby steps to a healthier and more sustainable life. She hopes each post gives readers the confidence to think, hey, I can do that. Sarah believes few things can't be fixed with delicious food, an authentic voice, and plenty of snark. Hey, Sarah, I am excited to talk to you about this topic today. But before we dive in, take a minute to give us a fun fact about yourself. Hi, uh, so thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Hey. Um, a fun fact would be uh, my husband used to be what's called a a grip in the film industry. So he would do lighting and electrical. And uh, he worked on a lot of reality shows. And one of the real, yeah. And one of the reality shows he worked on for many years was Hell's Kitchen. (gasps) Oh my gosh. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. That was probably like the least trashy one. (laughs) um, (laughs) um, And so one season, you know, they just get rid of everything at the end of every season. And so one season he brought home like 50 things of like melamine chopsticks. And so any chopstick you see in any of my food photos today are actually taken from the set of Hell's Kitchen. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. I'm going to go to your site and just look for chopsticks now. Look for chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet you get a lot of scoop about garbage and uh, the drama from all of those shows. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's been out of the industry for 10 years, but um, he kind of got started when the reality shows were getting started. So um, they've definitely evolved. But yeah, I heard a lot of stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you did. Well, thanks for sharing that. That was very interesting. Let's get to our main topic today. Sarah, how not to blog. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I strongly believe that one of the benefits of starting a blog now versus like even a handful of years ago is that there's sort of a system now that works, right? So we pioneers, as I call us, the ones who've been around for over five years, I feel like we were the guinea pigs for this very new job called food blogging. Nobody knows what food blogging is now, but five and 10 years ago, I mean, it was even more mysterious. I think every food blogger who has been doing this job for more than five years can say that the journey has been bumpy and filled with a lot of learning. But all bumpy journeys bring insight. And that is what you are here to deliver today, Sarah. Can you just start by sharing a little bit about your food blogging journey, how it started and how it has evolved for you? Sure. Um, so I started blogging in August of 2010. So back, you know, before the earth had cooled in terms of blocking blogging years. Um, 
And I started a blog called Frugal by Choice, Cheat by Necessity, which, you know, red flag number one. <laughs> by time people, if people are asleep by time you finish saying your blog name, it's too long. <laughs> Um, but I started it because on April's April Fool's Day in 2010, my husband was laid off. Um, and we had just moved back from Los Angeles. You know, we had just left his well-paying job, I should say. We had left my well-paying job and then he got laid off. So our lives just turned upside down overnight. And um after a few months, I just started sharing tips online, just kind of for my own information, maybe helping friends and family out. Um, and then over the years, it got to the point where all those tips and couponing and stuff like that, it was still interesting. I just didn't care about it anymore. What I really cared about was the food. But I started on Blogger or so oh, I guess back then it was like Blogspot. Um, you know, it was free. I didn't have any money. So it was totally free and it served its purpose. Um, and then I transitioned to a self-hosted site in 2014. Um, and then in 2017, I was ready to shut my blog down because I was done. Like, oh. I had no growth. In fact, I was losing traffic. Um, I had zero motivation to keep it up. I just... I was so, so lost. Um, and I was like, you know what? The easiest thing to do is just, I'm done. I'm, I'll do something else. Um, and then I came upon a Food Blogger Pro podcast. So yes, your guys is, uh, all your all the podcasters out there, your podcasts do really make a difference in the people. Aww. The Food Blogger Pro one is absolutely amazing. I agree. And I think they're kind of pioneers in, in that. So um, that was, I. Yes. I somehow came upon it and... First of all, I didn't know that there was podcasts for food blogs. Um, and the very first episode I listened to, I think it was one of the ones, the early ones with Casey Marquis. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I had been blogging for seven years and I had never, ever heard the term search engine optimization. <laughs> I didn't even have a recipe card on my blog in 2017. Yeah, that's it's good to have recipe cards. <laughs> it's very good to have so I just started binging podcasts and learning more and more and more. And um, I just decided to take it seriously. And my blog has done a complete 180. There's thousands of little things I've done. But I think the biggest is just I, I learned about search engine optimization. I put in recipe cards. Um, and I just... I learned to make the tools work for me that we're all offered now. So you mentioned Casey Markey, and I've listened to a handful of his podcast episodes as well, and literally changed my blogging life. Like He just has a way... First of all, he has incredible knowledge on the topic, especially relating to food bloggers. Yes. And the way that he communicates it is unlike anything I've ever heard. The other day, I listened to... I think it was his most recent one. And something just clicked and I was like, oh my gosh. And I set it down and I went to my computer and I started doing what he said. And literally a few days later, my posts were showing up higher in Google rankings. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So food bloggers, go listen to every word Casey Markey says because he has great knowledge on the topic. And I agree. It's, it's all like really valuable information. So Sarah, can you take us through 
Okay, you mentioned your recipe cards. Yeah, <laughs> or lack of. How were you posting your recipes on your blog? I was just typing them into the body of the post. <laughs> How many did you have to go back and change? And was that like a big ordeal for you? Uh, the answer is yes, it was a huge ordeal. Um, so I actually did an audit with Casey in May of 2018, so last year. And part of that audit... Um, I wouldn't say he gave me permission, but he gave me confidence to delete old things that I no longer cared about, that no longer reflected my new brand, um, and that I would never update for any reason, and that were just dragging me down. So I went from 3,700 posts. Wow. That was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And most, you know, back in 2010, a post could be like, 30 words like, hey, look at the sunrise with a picture taken from your cell phone. That was like 300 by 200. And so I deleted so much. And then I set about optimizing um, the remaining ones. And I will say that I've gone through the deletion process two more times. And I keep deleting more and more and more as I figure out what my brand is and lean into it more and realize, hey, this post is never going to do anything for me. I'm very type A and I like things clean and organized. So deleting the junk was so freeing. It was like the best decluttering of a toy room situation (laughs) that you could ever imagine. Um, And so that helped a ton and it allowed me to focus on what I had left. And then looking at the posts you have left, it's slightly less overwhelming to add recipe cards to them. I think that for a while... We were told by so many people, not necessarily in the food blogging realm, but kind of general SEO, was to hold on to every post you have because it's content. At least for me, that was kind of ingrained in my brain somewhere along the way. And so I did too. I held on to every garbage post, you know, like just stuff that was not relevant at all to food blogging. So I too recently went through and deleted old content that was just bogging down my other content, I feel like. And it makes a huge difference, not just in your mindset, because like you said, it kind of declutters your mind. You're like, oh, it's just so freeing. Like, oh, it's gone. Yes. But also it matters with Google because Google recognizes that as uh-huh. like not relevant to what you're trying to portray yourself as. Like if you're trying to brand yourself as a recipe blog, then why do you have all this content that has nothing to do with recipes? Right. And I will say that Casey told me if there's any posts that I want to keep just to keep, but I know that are not going to be searched, you can always know index them. Yes. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to put words into his mouth, but the way he explained it to me was You only get so much crawl allowance every day, every month, every week. And so if Google is wasting your crawl allowance on those old, terrible posts, then your new stuff isn't getting crawled as often as you need it to be. Oh, I think there is a huge value in what you just repeated. What else did Casey share with you in your audit that you employed into your website? So a lot of the stuff was technical, which is, you know, I know people say you can do a self-audit and that's fine. But if you're not technically inclined, like I am not, there's stuff he found that I would have never found ever. Back when I did Blogger, I had all the dates in my URLs. 
And then when I moved to self-hosting, I still had them. So then there's, you know, that's two redirects on your URLs. And then right before I rebranded, I got the genius idea to change my own permalinks, which I don't know where I thought that, where I got the idea that that was smart because I'm not a tech whiz. So I screwed a bunch of stuff up right before Q4 of 2017. And I broke all the links for my four most popular posts Aww. that do really well on um, Pinterest. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So, and then when I rebranded, um, I then had another redirect on my site, you know. So Casey helped me um, work with, he helped me and then he helped me work with people to remove those excess redirects. He found a way to recover um, some of those old pin links, which just was life-changing. Oh, interesting. So through Pinterest, you were able to recover old links? So much had changed about my URL structure that what was on Pinterest for most of the pins was completely incorrect. But because I had these chain redirects on my site, once you clicked on a pin, it would eventually take you to something on my blog, but not the correct post. And so he helped me find a way to capture the old, old, old URL, like back from when it was .blogspot.com. And then we plugged those into a redirection plugin. So, I mean, it does add a little bit of weight to my site, but it still allows those old popular pins to get people to the right post. Oh, interesting. And that's something that you probably never would have found on your own. Never. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Very valuable. So I interrupted you. Sorry, you can continue. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Um, I think he just gave me permission to really just hunker down and focus on what was important. I read posts that I updated even last year and I'm still like, oh my gosh, two paragraphs about like how I went apple picking, like Sarah, shut up. <laughs> and so what I've, what I've done, something I've always done is I've always posted my meal plan on Sundays. And those have always been my most popular posts because I think as people were nosy, we want to see what people are doing and what they're eating. I mean, we've all looked into other people's carts in the grocery store. And if you yes. say you haven't, you're lying. Um, <laughs> And so my meal plan posts have always been my most popular. And so what I did after my audit is I started writing my day-to-day posts, like my my recipe posts for a Google audience. But I would put what my 10-year-old son would call Easter eggs within those posts, like a little tiny inside joke that like my diehard readers would see but that someone coming from Google like wouldn't think it's really weird. Um, so that that's how I connect to my return audiences with those like funny little one-liners within a post that's written for a Google audience. But I save all my blah, blah, blah. This is what we did. Blah, 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 blah. This is what we ate for my Sunday posts. And Sunday posts are still my most popular and they're also my most profitable Because as I'm talking about my day-to-day life, I'm very naturally dropping affiliate links Mm, in posts. And because I have the most traffic on Sundays, I get the most affiliates. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. I still get to have that personal connection. I still get to write those. Well, now they're shorter paragraphs (laughs) because of that. But I still get to write those stories and I still get to connect with my audience. But I can save that for a one-post a week. 
And then everything else is for my Google people. That's really brilliant, I think, because we all used to write like that all the time, you know, the more personal stuff. So secluding it, putting it into one day and still connecting with your audience and letting them know that you're human and that somebody else is not writing for you is important. And I think that's so smart. Yeah. As we get more into SEO, we're all starting to write more technically and like thinking about Google really instead of who our audience is. I was just talking to the amazing and talented Jessica Gavin and she said this line that was like, oh, I love this. She was talking about this very thing and like focusing on your writing. And she said, know when to ignite your personal voice and when to ignite your business voice. You have figured that out. And I love that. I don't think that's a super common thing for food bloggers to do, to like set one day aside a week to talk about your personal side. And I also love that you're incorporating food into it. So when Google sees that post, it's still relevant. Well, I do know index my Sunday post. So I tell Google, gotcha. I don't want you to waste your time on this post. Gotcha. I like that. That's another tip. No indexing posts that you don't necessarily want Google to crawl. And I will say that I have, after my audit with Casey, I hooked up with what I call an accountability buddy. Um, and that's Katie from Hey Nutrition Lady. Because she also went through an audit with Casey. And so we've kind of held each other's feet to the fire. Um, and she started her Sunday post too. I kept telling her, I was like, you got to do this. It's great for income. It's great for um, connecting to your readers. And they're now her most popular posts of the week as well. Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, accountability buddies are huge too, because we're all doing this on our own. So having somebody else to keep you on track, I think is huge in this job. This last year, I couldn't have survived without her. So, Oh, yeah. It's great to have someone to keep you on track. So take us through some other things that you've kind of learned along the way. So I think, you know, back in 2010, when we all started blogs, um, the common thing was it was using it as an online diary. So you would write about yourself. So everything was me, I, are that kind of thing. And over the last, I would say, two years, I've turned my writing voice, except for the Sunday posts, from me to we. And the we is the audience. So I'm always writing with them in mind. Um, I'm always looking at the posts I'm writing and think, how is this going to help my avatar? And so for any of your listeners who don't know what an avatar is, it's kind of like, who is the one person you are writing to? Like, if you could only write to one person, who is your ideal reader? And in most cases, it's you two years ago. What do you wish you could have told yourself two years ago? And so when I'm writing my post, I'm like, what? My, my avatar has a name. Her name is May. Um, and I think, is this going to help May? Is this going to help her life? Is this going to help her get her kids to soccer practice on time without going through the drive-thru? And if I can't say yes to that, then I'm not going to write the post. I love that. I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was on a podcast that was unrelated to food blogging, but... Somebody recommended building your own avatar, like you were just saying. And I love that you gave May a name because that makes it more personal. But I think each of us should do that. Just figure out exactly who you are speaking to. 
what is this person's name? What are they doing? What are their goals? Are they happy? Are they content? You know, like just go through all of that. Create this person in your mind so that when you're writing your posts, you know exactly who you're talking to. And it's funny that you said your avatar is usually you two years ago. I went through the process and like mine is Claire. I wrote Claire's details out and then it took me a while and I was like, oh my gosh, that's me from like five years ago. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It works out that way. And I would say I have like four distinct audiences that come from Google. So my avatar is not going to be all of those people. And that's okay. But the bulk of your content needs to at least be targeted or help her in or him in some way. Yeah, I love that. But not not everything is going to resonate with that person, especially if you get a lot of Google traffic. Um, but it's really great to keep that in mind. And Sarah, I loved your words, turn me into we. That was a turning point for you in your blogging. So I think we all kind of start out doing the I, I, my thing. This is what I did last weekend. We went to the apple orchard. I went to the apple orchard. I picked apples. But once you get into that mindset of this isn't my blog, it's like we're all in this blog. So turning me into we is awesome advice. Well, and I heard, I don't know if it was on a podcast or what, I heard, um, it's not a quote, but basically someone said, we all want to be Luke Skywalker in the story. You know, we all want to be the hero. But as bloggers, we need to be Yoda and we need our readers to feel like they're Luke Skywalker. Oh, so I love all that. Of training, <laughs> I know, Be Yoda. Nerd, all, of our, <laughs> all of our training, all of our, everything that we do is to help our readers be the hero of their own story. So when people say, you know, include the tips that make people be able to uh, create this recipe perfectly the first time every time. What you're doing is you're, you are allowing them to be the, the hero in their own story. If they're trying your recipe for the first time because they have a huge, I don't know, dinner party and everyone's raving about whatever they make from your site, they're not saying, wow, it took 10 hours for that recipe blogger to develop this recipe. They're saying, great job, you know, you, whoever you are. Um, and so you're allowing that person to take the credit for all of your work. And that, and I'm okay with that. I used to not be okay with that, but I'm 100% okay with that now. Yeah, we all need to get to that point where we are okay with that. And I think that's when changes start to happen. So be Yoda, food bloggers. That not is Luke Skywalker. <laughs> not Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Greatest advice ever. Do you do you have other things that you want to walk through as far as specific things that you've learned or things that you did wrong? So back in the day, I used to publish a post and then think I was done with it. Like I never thought I could update it. The idea of republishing it like never once occurred to me. And perhaps that's because I had dates in my URLs. I don't know. I I just never had, for me, it was like, I'm published and now I'm done and I'm on to the next thing. And now I look at every post as, how is this going to fit in with my content next year? How is this going to fit in with any cornerstone themes? How is this going to make my reader's life better? And so not ignoring old posts has been one of the most valuable things or changing from ignoring old posts is it's just it's transformed my blog. If I look at, you know, my stats today, eight of the top 10 are posts that I 
republished last summer that I had published, you know, like seven years ago and they were terrible. So last year I polished them up and republished them. And I'm even republishing them again this year because I've updated them over the last year. Um, My organic search traffic from the time when I had my audit with Casey to today is up 650%. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And most of that is on the shoulders of old content. Yes, I'm publishing new stuff, but I spent a solid six months just working on the stuff I already had. And it's it's been life changing. Don't discount your old content because we put that content up or at least a lot of it because it was good. We have some good recipes. So there is definitely value in going back and just seeing what you can do to revise and update that old stuff. Photos. I go back to photos that I took just a handful of years ago and I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Photos can always be updated. Writing can always be updated. What Google wants from us is always changing. So there, there's always stuff you can do to get more traffic and to get seen on Pinterest and to get, really get seen anywhere. I love that. Just keep old content in mind and don't publish it and forget it. And I would also say you can change the title of a post. Don't change the slug. So don't change the URL. But, you know, I have a post now that's one of my top three and it had the stupidest title five years ago. So once, oh, so another good thing I did that kind of leads into that is I finally invested in actual technology that helps me find competitive keywords. So I was using all the free stuff, which at first that's fine, but at some point you're going to want to invest in in something that says this is a competitive search term. Because when you're just using the free stuff, it says this is how many searches you get each month, but it doesn't tell you whether or not you have any chance in ranking in that post. So I use key search, which is really affordable compared to the others. It's like $130 um, a year. And I got a Cyber Monday sale last year. So it was like $110. And so it gives you a red light, a yellow light, or a green light, or even a light blue light in terms of, hey, this is going to be competitive. Yeah, you should go for it. Or what are you even thinking? You have no chance in ranking for that. And so before I had posts that had um, fine titles, but now that I look them up, they're so competitive, I'll never be able to f- to rank for it. But I can find something that's like a yellow light or a green light and change my title. And then within a few months, I might be on the first page. So don't don't be scared to change the titles of your posts. Just don't change the URLs. I actually changed a few of my URLs years ago too, like just not knowing. Yep. I thought I was doing a service to my blog and they too were some of my most popular posts. I cannot even think about it because... I was killing it with these posts and like totally tanked after that. And I've regained a lot of it. Yeah, learn from us and leave those URLs alone. Do not touch them. Except if you pay a professional to remove the dates. Yes. Do want the dates yes. out, but don't touch the title of the post in the URL. I have a URL with... I think it's like 17 words in it. And every time I post it anywhere, it makes me cringe. But it's still one of my top 10 posts. So that whole, the slug has to match the title. It's not true. It's not true. Yeah. 
Let's talk more about investing in yourself. And you mentioned investing in tools that help you find titles and things like that. How else do you invest in yourself in your business? Uh, it started with um, finding, so getting a new site. That was the biggest investment um, and a, a whole new rebrand. So I tech stuff, it's not my thing. So I paid someone to do branding for me and site design all at the same time. Um, I've also invested in a Pinterest course, which was amazing. It was pinning perfect. It was so good. Um, I started hanging out in Facebook groups. So I never had a personal Facebook page. I just didn't want one. So I was never in any blogging Facebook groups. So I created a profile just so I can be in blogging Facebook groups. And I've learned so much and that stuff's free. So if people don't have money to invest, learning from other people on in Facebook groups, blogging ones specifically, I mean, that's totally free. There's a lot of free information out there. Podcasts and Facebook groups, like you mentioned, provide so much information if you just keep your eyes open. And I would say most people, yes, completely. And most people who have a course will offer a free training related to that course. Now, whether or not you can afford to pay for that course at the end of that free training, um, is one thing, but you can still get a lot of value from those two or three or four days worth of free stuff that they're giving you. Um, an example would be, uh, I'm in the email on autopilot course. I guess I'm done with it, but I'm still in the Facebook group. And um, Matt, who runs the course, has a free three-day training. That's amazing. You can get so much information from those three days of videos. Um, so if you don't have the money to invest in the course, you know, watch those three videos and it's going to completely revolutionize your email marketing. Do you have recommendations as far as like where to start looking for investing? Like, would you recommend, um, tapping into photography or writing or where would you recommend starting if someone is looking to invest more in their business? I think with food blogging, the first step would have to be photography because my nothing in my site took off for the most part until my photos got better. They were so horrible. I used to take pictures with my cell phone camera at 10 o'clock at night in my 1970s fluorescently lit kitchen because that's the only time I had to do it. So I think investing in photography and there's lots of free content out there. Um, but investing in photography is definitely the first step. Um, and even if you're using a cell phone now, cell phones are a lot better than they were 10 years ago. Oh, yes. In terms of taking pictures. But you can still find amazing tips for taking food photos with your with your phone. Um, but people eat with their eyes first. And no one's going to... People are just going to scroll past your pictures in Pinterest if they don't make them stop and be like, Ooh, I want to make that or what is that? I mean, I find old pins on the feed in Pinterest and I'm like, oh my gosh, who would pin that? And then <laughs> I I click it and it's my old pin. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I ever put that picture up. Yeah, I would say definitely focusing on photography and understand that the photos you take today in two, three, four months are going to make you cringe but they're going to be better than the ones you were taking three months ago. Yeah, it's important with photography. I mean, it's good to take courses. I believe in that. Just doing it, practicing it day in and day out 
literally every day if you can try to take pictures and before you know it your skills will be improved and like you 100% yeah and like you said you are going to look back in a relatively short span of time and see that you've improved so much, but that's good. If you look back and see that your photos from a year ago were garbage, that's actually a really good sign because that means that you're getting better. So much better. Yeah. And just, I mean, play around with it. Have fun. I, you know, four months ago, I was still taking three, 400 pictures per recipe because I'm I'm still uncomfortable with f-stop and aperture and all that. But now I look when I download photos and I photographed three recipes and there's maybe 300 pictures. So every every time you pull out your camera, you're going to learn something. Yes, for sure. What other resources were helpful for you? You mentioned going through an audit and that being a huge help. What else was helpful for you as you were kind of realizing that you needed to change some things around on your blog? Uh, so I did Food Blogger Pro for two years um, and that was really helpful, but I could have gotten a lot more value out of it. I chose, I just, I didn't take as much advantage of it as I could. Um, But that, that is a paid resource. So I think one of the best free things that anyone can do is type in the name of the recipe that you're going to be posting into Google and looking at the top 10 results, finding out what they have on the first page. So finding out what they have in common you know, do they have long titles? Do they have good meta descriptions? Um, and then also looking at that people also ask box in Google. Almost every search term you come up with will have that. And figuring out how you can incorporate that naturally into your post to not only help Google see you as an authority, but to anticipate questions that your readers are going to have making that recipe. And one thing I do is I read the top 10 posts on the first page of a term that I'm trying to rank for, not to copy them, but to figure out what they're doing better, what am I doing better, But the most value I get from doing that is reading the comments because people ask the same question over and over and over. And if that question is coming up repeatedly, I know it has to be in my post. That is killer advice. (laughs) It takes forever, but it's 100% worth it. I look at those questions that pop up on Google. I think those are so valuable. And I love that they started doing that. But I don't read through the comments of posts. I think that's really great advice. And I'm sure it takes considerable time to go through that. But if you can figure out what people are wanting and needing to know about a certain topic, there is massive value in that. Casey likes to jokingly say, treat your readers like drunk toddlers. (laughs) Or maybe he says toddlers or drunk adults. That probably is more likely. Um, But it's true. If you can lay everything out for them so that they don't have to come back and ask you a question, they're going to love you for it. Absolutely. It's just a matter of thinking through. And again, going back to that turn me into we, what are we wanting to know about a certain topic? A lot of this, Sarah, is just like reframing your mindset. That's 100% it. Yep. 
going from being an eye blogger to how can I serve you? I mean, that takes care of so many of the issues that we're talking about. And I will say another thing that has been valuable is, you know, we're all told to have that like little teaser text above our first photo. So kind of in just a few terms, tell your reader what they're going to get if they choose to scroll through. And I learned this from Brandy, who's um, the blogger behind Stay Snatched. She packs that teaser text full of keywords. So um, that not only are you helping your reader figure out what it's going to be, but you're also signaling to Google, hey, there's like 10 different things in this post that you really want to come see. And that has been a huge evolution for me in terms of going back and beefing up um, the teaser text in old posts and getting to rank more quickly and much more higher. Um, so that tip from Brandy was it was huge. And tagging it with the H2. I don't do the H2 for the teaser. I use um, paragraph text. And then my H2s, I do just for headings, like, how do you freeze zucchini? I'm thinking of a post that I posted this morning. Or um, how do you freeze zoodles? That kind of thing. That's the stuff I I save for the H2s. My teaser text is um, paragraph, but it's italicized. And the title of my post is bolded. Yeah, that's great advice too. And something that I think when bloggers start, they don't necessarily think about. So all of those little things add up. There's a lot packed into what we do. And if we can just find little nuggets that work here and there and put them all together, they really do all add up. And all those nuggets have been like a two-year evolution for me. So it's fine for me to say, hey, this is what you should do. But me two years ago would be like, I don't have time for that. I, I can't do all of that. And so I've done it. You know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You you take it where you can. You can you improve where you can. It doesn't have to be all or nothing and it doesn't have to be all at once. So when I go back to old posts, I can really quickly get caught in going down the rabbit hole of trying to fix everything. So if I find an old post, I just set the timer on my phone for 20 minutes and I'm like, do what you can in 20 minutes and then add it a major overhaul to your to-do list for later. And that 20 minutes can mean a lot, but it doesn't seem overwhelming at the time. I like your 20-minute timer rule because I get sucked into that rabbit hole so easily. I see one post. It's so easy. Yeah, I've been looking at um, Google Console and seeing what content of mine is getting a lot of impressions, but maybe not as many clicks. And I've been trying to improve those older posts. And I will start with one. And I'm like, well, if I'm doing this one, I should do this one. And then before I know it, two hours are gone. So you really do have to be intentional about carving out time for it and setting limits because it can be such a huge time suck if you let it. I mean, it's good to do, but you know, moderation is good. <laughs> Agreed. And I think if you're looking at at it from the viewpoint is I have to fix all this old stuff and do new stuff. It, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And the six months after my audit, 90% of my posts that I published were updated content because they were so terrible the first time around. They needed a complete overhaul. Sometimes I just deleted everything in the post and started over. They all definitely needed new photos. But if I was trying to fix all of that stuff while also doing brand new stuff every week, 
I, I would have given up. I would have burned out. I, I couldn't have done it. And at minimum, I mean, take your editorial calendar and just sprinkle in the old posts so that it's planned out so that you're not feeling like you said that you have to do like both simultaneously. Creating a schedule for it, I think, is key. Whether you do what you did, Sarah, and just do six months worth of redoing old content or just like doing half and half. It's just a matter of planning it out. Make a list of what old content needs to be revised and incorporate it into your calendar. Yeah, you can't do it all. It's so much if you think of it like that. Like I have to do it while I'm doing new stuff. That's killer. (laughs) And I will say as bloggers, we have this mindset that our readers remember every single post and everything we've ever said. And they don't. I've been republishing content for the last 15 months. And I think I've had one comment where someone's like, oh, yeah, I made this. That's it. Nobody, nobody knows. Nobody cares. And if they do, then who cares? Absolutely. All I can say is all if I say if I tell people I've republished it, I'm like, you know what? I worked really hard to make this better for you guys. I hope you enjoy it. No, that's a good point. Because some of the content that I see on my blog, I don't even remember. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And how do we expect our readers to remember? Yeah. Do you have any other little tips before we start saying goodbye, Sarah? Yes. So anytime you publish a post, add it to your to do list in the next week to go back into other posts and link your new post five times. There's no magic number with five. It's just a doable amount. So if you want to do it three times, if you want to do it seven times, whatever it is, have a set amount and link your new content to old content five times within a week. It's not because Google will recognize it any faster or anything like that. It's because if you don't do it within a week, you will forget about it. I have seen so much growth from linking old content to new content and new content to old content because rising tides lift all ships. And I never, ever linked well internally until after my audit with Casey. And it's been totally game changing for me. That's great advice as well, because I go through all of the new content that I create and I link to old content, but it's harder to remember to go back to old content and recognize the new content. So that is brilliant and something that I will put on my calendar from now on because you get caught up and you forget that you posted about corn on the cob last week. Just setting those reminders for yourself that you need to incorporate your new stuff into old stuff. That's awesome. I love it. And if you have roundups, like older roundups that you've done, um, never be afraid to add new content to those Um, I make sure that the number of recipes is not in the URL. So like 17 easy instant pot side dishes. You're never going to find the number 17 in my URL because I can change the pin. I can change the title and I can change anything within that post of the number. And so let's say, you know, I have 17 easy instant pot side dishes and tomorrow I decide to do an instant pot corn on the cob. I can go back and link it to the roundup make a new pin and then push it out. And Pinterest is going to see that as new content. That's awesome too. Yeah. The number thing is a very good tip because you don't want to tie yourself to that if you're going to add stuff. So that's a great one too. Anything else? Uh, I think just have a lot of grace for yourself. This is a hard thing to do and it's hard to do it well. And many of us screwed around and messed around for years before. And I still don't have it right. 
but I have it more right than I did a month ago. And last month, I was a lot further ahead than I was a year ago. Well, I was looking at some of my content. I occasionally like to go onto Google and just see like how certain posts are ranking. And I was doing that the other day and I saw a handful of your recipes pop up. So you seem to be doing very well with Google standards anyway. Things are moving. (laughs) Yeah, things are moving. And I think the general lesson we can take away from our chat is build as good of a foundation as you can so that you don't have to go back and do a lot of cleaning up messes that we may have made early on. So take every tip that Sarah has imparted today and learn from them because all of those little things definitely add up. And I think my favorite quote from today, Sarah, is be Yoda. (laughs) It's a good one. Maybe I should make a shirt. (laughs) I think you should. I think you should. And Yoda's so dang cute. His head on anything would be great. He's pretty adorable. (laughs) He is. My boys know that I love him. So every time they see him, if we're out and about, they're like, Mom, there's Yoda. <laughs> my my youngest, I guess it was his first Halloween. He was Yoda. And my oldest, my oldest was Luke. So. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. We're nerds. We dressed our dog up as Yoda last year. We found like a doggy Yoda costume. He didn't like it. <laughs> he had it on for like five minutes. <laughs> They never do. I know. But for those five minutes, we were just like dying laughing. I think we got a picture of it as it was falling off his head. (laughs) I love it. Well, I just wanted to end by saying that I think it's really important to keep in mind that bloggers like you and other bloggers who have made a lot of mistakes along the way have kind of paved the way for success for others because without us sharing these mistakes... It wouldn't be possible to jump into food blogging and just nail it like a lot of people do these days. I feel like more and more bloggers are starting with all of the great information and then just killing it immediately. So thank you, Sarah, for letting us learn from your mistakes and also being willing to share about them because it's not always easy to share about the things that we've done wrong, but it is really important to um, learn the lessons that come from them. So thank you for sharing today. You're so welcome. And I'm happy to help anyone not make the mistakes I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you go, aside from B Yoda, do you have any <laughs> other favorite quotes or words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers? I do have a quote that I've loved for years and it incorporates my love of gardening and my faith, but now also blogging. Um, And it says, even if I knew that tomorrow the world would go to pieces, I would still plant my apple tree. And it's attributed to Martin Luther, but a little online Googling shows he probably didn't say it. So I don't know who said it, but um, it's still something I live by where, you know, if you're a gardener, they say the best time to plant an apple tree was five years ago. The second best time is today. And it's the same for food blogging. So you're not going to get everything right, but you might as well just get started. I love that visual of just planting seeds and not knowing exactly when they're going to bloom, but just knowing that the seed is there and that you've done it. Exactly. Thank you for sharing that. Sarah has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Sarah Cook, and Sarah is spelled with an H. Sarah, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Uh, You can find my blog at sustainablecooks.com. I'm on Instagram at sustainablecooks. And... I mean, Facebook, I'm at Sustainable Cooks, but the URL is frugalsarahc.com. 
again, people think about your branding before you <laughs> sign up for social media. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> oh, well, thank you again so much for being here today, Sarah. And thanks for listening today, food bloggers. And I will catch you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.